Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh my goodness, it's Behind the Bastards, the podcast where Michael Swaim and I talk about how Christopher Columbus was actually kind of a cool guy. Michael... How do you, you know, a lot of people get angry at him because of the slavery and the genocide, but. I hadn't heard that, but go have on. You, have you considered, is it Ohio that has a Columbus or is it Missouri has a Columbus? Both of them have a Columbus, don't they? Maybe both. At least Ohio. At least one confirm. American yeah. <laughs> state has a town called Columbus. And I'm going to say they have good pizza. I don't know. Mm. Nobody knows. Michael, you play video games, right? You're a big video games guy. You I know, eat pizza. I play video games. You I'm are a regular guy, Robert. <laughs> you are. I should introduce you first. Uh, not that you need introductions. No, I don't you need my... to because, as you said, the format is and always has been Robert Evans and Michael Swaim talking about Christopher Columbus. That's it's right. Another episode. That's right. That's every episode of this show. <laughs> um, Michael, you are the only member of the cracked diaspora who has visited me in my new home. Um, I, I I guess I could say that it's probably because of the plague, but I think it's 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 a direct personal insult. But in any case, when you were here, mm-hmm. you, you brought out a machine which allowed you to play video games on my television, um, a gaming console, right? That's right. And that made me think. It's th- this was like a year ago now, but it made I've been thinking ever since. Boy, it seems like it'd be nice to sit down on the couch and play a play a video game, old fashioned style. See, I don't know. I don't have a lot of hobbies anymore, Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I kept thinking about it. And yesterday, I don't know why, I was feeling kind of depressed. And I was like, I am going to play a video game on the couch. But I didn't have it. I don't have a console. I don't have any way to do that. So I go down to the video game store. And I'm like, I would like one PlayStation or Xbox. It doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. they told me, you can't do that. You have to get an invitation to buy one. That's the way that all gaming consoles work now. And so I just need to ask you as a video game guy, what the fuck is going on with video games? Why can't yeah, you just go buy a video game machine? Well, if you collect six Steam decks, then your punch card is full and you can get a PS5. No, it's uh, my understanding is that the, well... Full disclosure, I used to work at IGN and I would know this shit. Um, I've lapsed. That was like four, five, six months ago. So uh, I believe, though, that that should be turning a corner soon, actually. Uh, The chip shortage and the video card shortage kind of has already broken. That's one of those 3080s. I have no idea what I have. I've got a a gaming laptop that I bought a year or so ago in another fit of depression. And so I just, I realized eventually, why am I trying to buy a PlayStation? All I want to do is play Grand Theft Auto V. I can just download that on Steam and buy a controller and plug it in, plug it all into my TV. So it's fine Mm -hmm. now. I figured it out. Um, But I was briefly like- did you go back and punch that clerk in the mouth square? No, he he was like, (laughs) yeah, I mean- he wasn't being rude. It's just like, I didn't realize we'd gotten to there with video game consoles yeah. where you have to get an invitation, like dinner with a shake. Extremely like what, what is happening yeah. here? Uh, I remember at work when the PS5s were coming out, they told us all to sign up for X number of lottery tickets because if we didn't get enough consoles to go around for the staff, we wouldn't be able to cover stuff, which is the entire livelihood of the God, what publication. A weird, it's wild. What yeah. a weird situation. Pandemic. Um, yeah, it's it's <laughs> something else, Michael. Michael, mm. we're talking about Christopher Columbus, Michael Swaim, Small Beans Network, uh, formerly of Cracked.com. That's right. Please don't uh, put my name director directly next to him. of the film Kill Me Now. That's um, true. Michael, yes. You ready to get back to Columbus? Absolutely. Okay. Ohio right. or otherwise. Yeah. So, Michael, as our story comes back, it is 1492. Now, Columbus mm. has done sailed his ass right across an ocean blue, and he <laughs> stumbled into a Caribbean island full of people who he immediately thinks are, number one, hot. He repeatedly comments on how good looking they are. And number two, good potential servants slash slaves. Now, according to his journals, the first thing he focused on trying to do was convert them to Christianity, and most importantly, to make sure that they thought that all white people were chill dudes. Now, he did this in a couple of ways, mainly by handing out various trinkets. Uh, Here's how he wrote about it in his diary. I, in order that they would be friendly to us, because I recognized they were a people who would be better freed from error and converted to our holy faith by love than by force, to some of them I gave red caps and glass beads which they put on their chests, and many other things of small value which they took so much pleasure in and became so much our friends that it was a marvel. And one of the things that's like really funny here is that he thinks, like, you, ha- you get all these writing from the Spaniards at the time about how silly these people are because they'll, like, trade gold gems for, like, useless baubles. Mm-hmm. But none of them ever considered the fact that, like, maybe to these people they're both useless. That, like, a glass bead and gold are both about as valuable to each other, right? Like, neither Dude. of them do anything. <laughs> they just I look mean, nice. <laughs> yeah. If you've never gotten high and yeah. had the thought... 
gold is just a rock though, man. Yeah. Like it's just a rock. Someone just decided. It's just a rock that, that rock. sat out in the sun yeah. the most, according exactly. to Plato. And by yeah. the way, handing out red caps, I believe this is the official origin of the MAGA caps. So you can mm-hmm. lay that this at is, Columbus this is, as well. He yeah. started it. Um, you might actually, you might draw, I don't know. I don't know enough about fucking Italian history in this period to know how meaningful it is but like you gotta remember he comes from a place where colored clothing is illegal um so i don't know that's that's <laughs> that's like, interesting we got the latest hot shit this contraband <laughs> look, at this. look at this kids it's fucking red, red. <laughs> the color of passion my friend you don't tell the pope and i won't tell the pope yeah. <laughs> um, ah, my rods and cones are overwhelmed <laughs> and it's also it's worth noting that like while this is often referred to as gift giving like him handing out trinkets it seems based on the descriptions you get that like the natives consider that they that they are consciously like entering an exchange with him like he's giving them stuff that they assume he values because they're giving him things that they value right they're assuming uh, he's not being a huge prick like yeah they are assuming prick. he's not being an asshole they're like oh we got to give him some nice stuff he's giving us all this nice stuff that we've never seen before like they're giving him nice cotton thread and like live parrots which columbus thinks are delicious um he is you got to give him credit with uh, one thing i don't know this is i found this compelling at least a lot of the spaniards especially once they start settling in these islands, refuse to eat the local food. It's actually a massive problem. They have to like keep shipping livestock over from Spain because people decide that like their cuisine is gross. Columbus is not one of those guys. He actually gets sick a bunch because he will eat anything these people hand him, which credit where it's due, that's how you're supposed to travel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. true. Um, so one item he would give them in return are these tiny hawks bells. And these are like, if you're doing falconry, these are like little bells that you tie the tie to birds and use to track them um, when they're like flying away. I guess mm-hmm. it's just a thing that it was easy to get a lot of so that they could have a shitload of these to hand out. But he gives out a lot of hawks bells and that's going to be noteworthy later. So just keep they're the, the hawks bells. In yeah, mind. they're the live strong bracelets of the era. If the Livestrong bla- bracelets led directly to a suicide genocide, yes. Here we now, go, Columbus people. <laughs> yeah. Buckle up. The people who lived on the island that Columbus had discovered and then taken possession of uh, for the crown were Tainos, uh, members of the Arawak group. Um, now, over the coming days, he met with many different like people on this island, many different like kinds of Arawaks, because there's all these different, right? Like, it's a pretty broad population, you know? Um... And I think these are kind of like grouping by by languages. Um, and these guys give him a bunch of gifts of unknown types. You know, we get he writes down some of them, um, but usually he just writes it down. It's like they gave us trinkets. We don't actually know what that means. They may have been like handing him works of art, decorations, clothing, stuff that like mm-hmm. could be because these people believe a lot of them, at least, believe that he's like a, a vi- like some sort of celestial visitor. Right. So it's possible they're giving him like cultural artifacts of significant value to them um and he's just like yeah they just gave me some crap because it's not gold right like that's the only thing that he actually ever seems to notice he calls their gifts tedious (laughs) fishing around his ridiculous pantaloons what do i got what do i got in here yeah the only things that he like shows any appreciation for are the small pieces of gold jewelry that he sees on some of their bodies Um, Now, it's worth noting that our friend Carol Delaney absolutely fawns over the descriptions Columbus writes of people and geography. Um, She glosses over the fact that he like she she talks about like what a good like anthropological attention to detail that he does Mm -hmm. uh, that he has, which is interesting because he's also like dismissing all of these different gifts they're giving him as trifles, which I would say is bad anthropology, but I'm not an anthropologist here. Um, 
So in short order, Columbus takes his little fleet away from this first island, which is probably San Salvador, um, and heads towards Cuba, which he thinks is Japan, right? Um, and he will think that until the day he dies. <laughs> they were his last words, in fact. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, it's you, you run into ceviche, you think it's sushi, it's happened to all of mm. us, you know? Same food, basically. Different um, order. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he, he decides that, and and part of the reason why he's so like fired up to get to Japan, number one, he's still looking for that great con, right? He's still looking for like some evidence of these massive Asian civilizations that he knows are supposed to be here and supposed to be ready for Christianity. Um, and the other thing is that based on his kind of like these conversations he's having with the locals, and they're not really conversations as well as much as like kind of gesture based discussions, but he kind of puts together that the gold he's found, the little pieces of gold came from that island. So he's like, all right, that's where the gold comes from. And obviously that's the number one thing. So as he leaves this first island and heads for Cuba, he captures a bunch of people and takes them with him. These are random locals that he imprisons on his ship to ask his guides. Now, in her book, because she's terrible, Carol Delaney describes these people as willing and eager guests, friendly natives excited to show the white people around. This is not true. <laughs> these captives told Columbus that there was an island. Like, part of the evidence for the fact that these people were not willing guests yeah. is that they told Columbus... Like, as they're sailing to Japan, Cuba, they tell Columbus there's an island on the way, and they're like, oh, yeah, we've seen people there, and they have, like, these huge gold bracelets that they wear on their arms and legs. It's the most gold anyone has around here. Go fuck here. with them for yeah. a while. We'll, we'll take you there. We'll, we'll, we'll introduce you to them, right? And as soon as they get to the island, all of the Taino prisoners he's taken run the fuck away. Um, they, they absolutely, <laughs> they, right. they fucking escape. Um... So he's annoyed by this, and uh, he sends an armed party to the shore to recapture them or to capture somebody else. Um, he also, he can't, he feels like since he's gotten close to the island, he can't go past it uh, without taking possession of it, right? Um, the exact way he writes this is that it, it was my wish to bypass no island without taking possession. And this is another thing Carol fails to mention. So I'm going to quote from Lawrence Bear Green's book next. Quote, He dispatched several seamen in hot pursuit of the fugitives, chasing them ashore. But, as he ruefully noted, they all fled like chickens. When another dugout canoe innocently approached, with a man who came to trade a skein of cotton, some of the sailors jumped into the sea because he wouldn't come aboard, and seized the poor fellow as a replacement detainee. Observing from his vantage point on the poop deck, Columbus sent for him and gave him a red cap and some beads of green glass which I placed on his arm, and two hawk's bells which I placed on his ears, that is, the standard-issue trinkets of little value, and I ordered him back to his dugout. So his plan here was to bait the hook. He wanted the locals to approach him with trust so that he could capture more of them. So he, like, takes this guy, puts him back on his boat with a bunch of trinkets, and sends him off. Um, Hopefully so that he can, like, question the others about gold and all that stuff. And this tactic is pretty successful. Um, People are generally very friendly for him. Um, And there's a few reasons for this. Some of it is that he is giving people gifts from time to time. And so they'll go back and be like, there's some dude and he's handing out shit. Let's go meet him. Um, And the other reason is that as Columbus kind of surmised, they saw him as and his men as, quote, men who came from the heavens. Now, it is hard for us to know precisely what their beliefs were here. Right. We don't have the kind of um, context that we would like because they are genocided. Um, it is generally. I mean, he took yeah. all their art and shit and labeled yeah. it trinkets, and trinkets. we just threw that, it, that, threw that, that shit overboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it is generally accepted that the people indigenous to a lot of these islands had popular beliefs, and again, you're talking about multiple groups of people, right? They're all under these kind of broad language groups, but that doesn't mean they're like they're often at war. They have different 
opinions of each other. Like right mm. there, there. Anyway, um, it it is uh very likely that some of these people had popular beliefs that divine or divinely inspired beings were going to visit them one day and it was kind of like a prophecy some time it may have been kind of like a, an apocalyptic prophecy maybe sort of you might even view it as a little bit like kind of christian rapture like readiness yeah. you know well, which is not yeah, an, yeah, say, there are beliefs like that all over the world it's right? core yeah. to almost every religion yeah yeah ultimately um just that at some point in the distant future, we will yeah. meet this magical thing. That's yeah. we always, it's human nature to want to eventually meet or connect with or be one with the thing you made up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And and it's one of those things. So there, there probably were some prophecies that sort of led some subset of the people he's meeting to believe that he and his Spaniards are divine visitors or celestial visitors or some something ethereal and otherworldly. Mm -hmm. It's also worth noting, though, that whenever we talk about prophecies like this, there's like a nasty tendency to act as if these beliefs are universal. It gets flattened. So we say, the people of these islands believed this or that. And we're talking about large, decentralized groups on many islands. Human beings just don't work that way, right? They don't all right, believe the same thing just because they all live in the Caribbean. Um, and oddly enough, there's a passage from Carol Delaney's book that does a decent job of making this clear. It's one of the little pieces of kind of insight we get into how varied beliefs might actually have been on the ground. Please note, this is the beginning of Robert's turn to pro-Carol yeah. Delaney. By the um, end, he's super pro. Well, you know, I, I just, I haven't found this anecdote in the other stuff I've been, read about Columbus, and I found it fascinating because it answered this question I always had as a kid when you'd hear like, oh, they believed this or that. And it's like, well, they didn't all, right? Because we don't, you know? Like, there must have been sex and schisms and anyway i find this interesting at one stop an old man who had heard of columbus approached him with a desire to engage in a theological discussion perhaps he had heard that columbus was interested in religious beliefs or he may have cleverly used this dialogue as a way to protect his people columbus for his part must have jumped at the ch chance to have a discussion with a learned native uh, about their beliefs they talked about the soul and what happens to it after death the old man explained that his people believed that any injury to the body also affected the soul and begged columbus not to injure any of the people Columbus assured him that he only hurt bad people because that was what his sovereigns had commanded. Unlike others who believed Columbus was some kind of god, this man told Columbus that to his face that he was, quote, mortal like everyone else. Columbus was not offended and wrote that the old man expressed his thinking with excellent judgment and courage. So that's wow. interesting to me. Yeah, you get these little like hints of the variety of beliefs and thoughts that might have existed in this population. Oh, yeah. And yeah. just the recurring motif of... Don't worry, I only hurt bad people. I only oh hurt bad God. people. <laughs> the core of all Western uh, civilization. He yeah. is, yeah, he is. You, you might, we talk a lot on this show about like whiteness and the fact that whiteness is like an yeah. idea with shifting boundaries that changed over time. But you might say Columbus was the first white guy. Like, <laughs> he sounds like one for sure. Yeah. He's got like yeah. the talk right. He's got it all right. You could you could put this guy in like the George Bush White House and he could be delivering fucking press conferences on mm. carpet bombings. It's great. Um, so as much as she tries to paint him as an unbiased, open-minded cultural anthropologist, Columbus's own writing makes it clear that his only interest in these people was using them to find and mine gold for his Jerusalem goals. He wrote very little about their actual culture. He brushed over their religion. Again, you have to remember that what he said about their religion is they don't have one. Right, because right. he didn't he didn't understand it, so he assumed that they were just like a blank slate ready for Christianity. Um, he ignored their social order almost entirely. He he didn't really understand the way they were ordered and who was in charge. 
He showed very little to no interest in their agriculture, except to rave about the quality of their, their food. And even that may have been kind of out of desperation as much as anything, because as the days wore on, they keep not finding gold, right? They get these little trinkets, but there's no sign of these gold mines that he had told the king and queen were going to be here in like mm -hmm. huge quantities. So he may have been playing up the only stuff that he thought was a value, right? Because yeah. Like, yeah, he doesn't care about the, like, the people or their culture. So he's like, well, the food's pretty good. Maybe we can take that. I'm just that. imagining flying saucers coming. Mm -hmm. And we're mm -hmm. all excited about first contact and aliens arrive yeah. and they're like, is Arby's open? And yeah. they order a bunch of shit and we're like, do you want to have like cultural interchange? And they're like, yeah. don't bother us. No, no, Arby's. you're good. I don't care about that, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then one of them writes home, gets like asked by his boss. So do the do humans, is like religion a big deal for them? No, no I don't, don't think so, religion. man. I don't really think it's a big deal. Arby's though. <laughs> yeah. They got the meats. It's two of these things for six dollars. It's brilliant. It's like walking around Jerusalem looking for a fucking sandwich, yeah, yeah. being like, wow, these people don't have a religion at all. Meanwhile, you have an abduction quota and it yeah. doesn't matter who. Doesn't yeah, matter. Just who. take them all. Take them it's all. It's just numbers. Yeah. Well, we are getting to the abduction quota. So the main thing that he does in his writing here, rather than again, Carol Delaney is like just fucking hard as hell about trying to portray him as like this, this like anthropological savant. Mm -hmm. um, I think Lawrence Beargreen gets it more correctly when he describes Columbus as, as writing about the new world that he's found as a, quote, tabula rasa in which his sovereigns would leave a lasting imprint of empire. Columbus wrote that, quote, your highnesses will command a city and fortress to be built in these parts and these countries converted. And I certify to your highnesses that it seems to me that there could never be under the sun lands superior to them in fertility and mindfulness of cold and heat and abundance of good and pure water. And the rivers are not like those of Guinea, which are all pestilential, which is obviously the Portuguese have Guinea, right? So he's trying to he's 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 not to the fact to the extent that he describes all of this lovingly, he's not doing it out of legitimate interest, he's doing it to try to make it attractive to the king and queen. It's because a among sales the, yeah, pitch. It's and a sales he, pitch. He's shown no interest in learning these things. No. he's It's gold. It's just yeah, gold. Yeah, it, it's a sales, in part because, as per the deal he has with them, if this turns into a colony and there's trade, he gets like a quarter of the profits forever. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's part of why he's trying to sell them on this place. Everything he's writing is like, he's like a fucking... Um, I don't know if you, it, I, yeah, he, he's, 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 he's a salesman, right? Like that's yeah. and he, what he's trying to sell is this land other people live on. And part of the way he's selling that is like, and they're barely even real. Like they're not here. They don't care. Like yeah, they'll do whatever we want them to do. Yeah. yeah. He's playing yeah. life like it's Civ 3 before mm -hmm. they had all the like theism and additional yeah, exactly. mods. It's just, I clicked on your shit, dude. It's my color now. It's my stuff now. Yeah. So a write-up from American Heritage summarizes Columbus's feelings after first contact with the Arawak on San Salvador. Quote, Two days after the first landing of the expedition on the tiny island of Guanahani in the outer Bahamas, which Columbus christened San Salvador, when your highnesses so command, they could all be carried off to Castile or be held captive in the island itself, he wrote, because with 50 men they could all be subjugated and compelled to do anything one wishes. He said the line. I know yeah, that line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, the Taino did try to introduce Columbus and his men to their food and to various inventions of their culture. Um, and some of these did take. The most exciting invention that they found, that the Europeans found, was the hammock. They had not invented hammock technology yet. Um, we get our word hammock from from the uh, the Arawak language. Um, and this is a big deal because, like, among other things, right, think about a boat and the way boats are constructed. People don't have rooms on boats in this day. So mm -hmm. you're just all sleeping in a pile 
battle around whatever ship's boy is like too slow to evade capture by the mob. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. The image yeah. is just sailors like on the floor on a shelf yeah. sleeping. Yeah. The hammock is going to revolutionize sleeping on boats. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, uh, anyway, so, you know, there was a genocide, but at least the world got the hammock. <laughs> we got the hammock. It's a great, it is. I just, I want to see that packaged as a PSA. Hammocks, worth it? We think so. <laughs> the United Homer. Hammock ad pitch. It's just like a devastated land, mass graves. Yeah. The hammock, worth it? A Native yeah. American in a hammock. Yeah, yeah. a single tear. Mm-hmm. We know the deal. We know the drill. So slowly, as the days turned into weeks, Columbus and his crew began to learn bits and pieces of the local language. Now, the most important phrase that they learned was "Don't be afraid." And pro tip: God, if somebody that's chilling, <laughs> yeah, that that's chilling. chilling. It's really <laughs> fucked up, right? If anyone starts a conversation, that's the number one way to know someone means yeah. to hurt you. If they start by saying "Don't be afraid," then you need to be very frightened. That's a shooting word, Michael. Yeah. That is that is a shooting phrase. <laughs> um, if an alien comes to my door saying that, I am not going to assume that yeah. what my trinkets. Yeah. What um, is your word for come with me to a second location? Yeah. Do you have that as, is that, could you condense that yeah. into one phrase? Yeah. How do your people say, leave your cell phone behind? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Carol Delaney gives Christopher big ups for realizing that, quote, the natives were not speaking gibberish as later so many Europeans attributed to primitive peoples and that he it was important out, to learn their language. Yes. He figured out that humans speak language. Yes. <laughs> Christopher Colombo, yes. <laughs> one of his many achievements but still he and his he and his men were not very good at the task of learning the local language six weeks into their journey he wrote quote i do not know the language and the people of these lands do not understand me nor do i nor anyone else that i have with me them and many times i understand one thing said by these indians that i bring for another it's contrary nor do i trust them much because many times they have tried to flee but now pleasing our lord i will see that the most that i can and little by little i will progress in understanding and acquaintance and I will have this tongue taught to persons of my household because I see that up to this point it is a single language. Now, first off, it, it is like a group of languages, but it's probably broadly like, you know, you go to like the, the Balkans and there's like the different kind of Serbo-Croatian sort of mm-hmm. dialects and they're all different languages. But like like Ukraine, if you if you speak Ukrainian, you can communicate to someone in Russian with vice versa, right? It's probably is kind of like that, but these are different islands. So you have to right. assume they are not in fact just one single language. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's interesting to me that he's like, there's a, a lot that's interesting here to me, including the fact that he's like, I can't trust them very much because they keep running away when I capture them. <laughs> Weird things yeah. I've learned about these people don't like kidnapping, real anti-kidnapping vibes on the natives on these islands. It's just weird to imagine the, because I know, because I know the way history and human beings work that there must be areas where I live with a similar level of delusion and I just swallow it. But the idea that he can think that and just be like, that's weird. (laughs) Like how does that not hammer home the core value of, Oh, I see they're like me. They're having the same experience I'm having, but if they were kidnapped, it's just bizarre that people work their brains that much. I don't know that I, I don't know that I think you do live with that level of delusion. I think we all live with areas in which our our level of knowledge is that incomplete. Mm-hmm. But what he's saying is a delusion, and it's a delusion because 
as both a religious fanatic and an obsessive narcissist, he is incapable of looking at anything that happens to him through any lens other than how it affects his ambitions, right? And so his interpretation of reality has to be tortured and twisted in order to make further those ends, right? No matter what, no matter what is happening, he has to find a way to translate it in that way. And I don't right. think you have that, Michael, having lose... known you for a while. <laughs> well, if I'm losing at a video game, I do blame the controller. I that's, think that's that we all similar. do a degree yeah. of this. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. In his case, the controller is several hundred thousand people with their own culture and religion. <laughs> it's weird and bad that they want to not well, yeah. be abducted. It's like, because I want to abduct them. What it's is like the problem a, yeah. here? Yeah. <laughs> I'd call it their fate. Mm -hmm. Lovely so, people otherwise. The fact that he needs to learn this language so that he can better convert and capture them right. is what convinces, according to Delaney, this is what convinces Columbus that he needs to, quote, take six Indians back with him when he left for Spain so that they could learn Spanish. Now, she assures us that the experience was meant to be reciprocal so that his family could learn that it's like a, you know, it's like a gap year cultural exchange for these people. That's it's how Carol describes it. It's also the very first iteration of this is America. Speak American. Damn yeah. it. Like, yeah. He's like, well, they got to learn Spanish. They're just going to learn Spanish. That's just going to be easier here. I'm going to be yeah. honest. It, it is amazing. <laughs> like there is there is a type of person and maybe Columbus is the first that like when you stumble upon, like find yourself in a place surrounded by people who speak and believe differently than you. Like your first thought is like, well, I got to make everybody a little bit more like me. <laughs> like, yeah. This isn't going to do. Someone's got to help these yeah. people. Yeah. In air what, quotes. What do you yeah. call this place? Lisbon? Nah, that ain't going to work. No, no, no. United um, Lisbon. <laughs> so she she describes this as like, yeah, these people are excited to learn from him and he's going to learn from them. And it's just this lovely cultural exchange that's going down. Oh, yeah. Bear Green describes this as a much uglier process where there do seem to be some Taino who were excited to see Spain, as you'd expect, because, again, they're not all one people. And anytime you yeah. get like effectively aliens coming, some people are going to be like. Well, shit, yeah, I want to see what your I home gotta is like. See yeah, what's I got to see there. what's going on there, yeah. right? Um, the whole process was, in fact, closer to abduction than anything. Quote, On Sunday, November 10th, a dugout canoe arrived with six men and five women to pay their respects. Columbus returned their hospitality by detaining them. That's Columbus's words, in ex expectation of returning to Spain with them. He bolstered their number with seven additional women and three boys. He explained his thinking this way, I did this because the men would behave better in Spain with women of their country than without them. His decision, he said, was based on his experiences detaining the inhabitants of Africa's west coast to Portugal. Many times I happened to take men of Guinea that they might learn the language in Portugal, and after they returned it was expected to make some use of them in their own country, owing to the good company that they had enjoyed and the gifts they had received. But matters never turned out as hoped. The problem, he decided, was that without their women, the men would not cooperate. This time, the result would be different. His latest captives, having their women, will find it good business to do what they are told. And these women would teach our people their language, which, he assumed, is the same in all these islands of India. That is indistinguishable from an MCU supervillain. It is, it is. If, <laughs> if we threaten their wives, yeah. they'll do what we want. Now, Michael, <laughs> you didn't mean to do this, but you actually made it a little bit less fucked up in your head there. So this is an interesting point. In Bear mm. Green's write-up, it just sounds like he has detained these guys with their wives, right? Like he's detained men with the women that they were <gasps> like in relationships with. Oh, yeah, that's shit. right, buddy. Yeah. He doesn't, they're interchangeable yeah. to him. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote from another write-up from American Heritage that makes a point I did not see noted elsewhere. And this is them 
quoting from Columbus's journal. Afterwards, I sent to a house which is in the area of the river to the west, Columbus says in his journal, and they brought back seven head of women, small and large, and three children. I did this because the men would comport themselves better in Spain, having women from their land when without them. So again, he is kidnapping seven head of women to keep the male captives docile. Um, he uses the phrase, the, the exact way he writes this is cabezas de, mujer, de, de mujeres, um, which is head the way you, the, it's the way you'd say, he's saying seven head of, head of women. Exactly. The exact yeah. same way. Yeah. Um, so number one, that's pretty bad. Um, and number two, he is, he is like. He doesn't understand that people have individual relationships. No, he is just taking, he's like, well, I've got guys. I got to get girls. Got to collect the set. He's just grabbing random women to go with seven these men. Guys, seven girls. And because, like, they are all traveling, all of the natives in here travel on canoes from island to island, he doesn't, I don't think he actually even knows that, like, the men and the women come from the same island. Like, he may have grabbed people from different villages and just, like, yeah. now you got your women with you. Why aren't you happy? Um, and it's interesting. Um, Spanish historian Jose Asensio writes, quote, and this is a guy kind of writing around the time. This was a great abuse and bad judgment on the part of the admiral, which was to set a most lamentable precedent, an act so apparently trifling, which was to have fatal consequences. And that's interesting because, number one, it does show that, like, people at the time are, are recognizing this is an abuse and bad. This is, like, a bad thing to do to people. But also... <laughs> It does say a lot that Asensio calls kidnapping a bunch of people apparently trifling. Trifling. <laughs> yeah, uh, trifling. It's, to it's think a, that this minor kidnapping of like a dozen people would lead to bad things. if you will. <laughs> Sticky wicket, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's pretty bad. Um, Fra Father Las Casas is even more kind of uh, uh, clear when he writes in his Historia, quote, One might ask whether it was not a most grievous sin to pillage with violence women who had their own husbands. Who was to give an accounting to God for the sins of adultery committed by the Indians whom he took with him and to whom he gave those wives as sexual partners? And again, that's also, you can see where Las Casas is, where he's like, well, my God, they've broken the sacred bonds of marriage. Who's going to explain this to God? <laughs> <sighs> um, it's very funny. It's not. So now, again, there are, again, some people here and there who do show interest in hanging out with Columbus. Um, but Columbus was not always interested in the people who wanted to go with him willingly. There's one point in his diary where a, a canoe with a man, two women, and three kids rose up to his ship, and the man begs to join Columbus and, like, go back to Spain with him. And Columbus is frustrated because the guy is old uh, and can't do hard work. So he's okay. like, well, he's not going to make a very good slave. I don't want this guy. Come on. It's the reason I'm kidnapping the young strapping ones. Um, <laughs> Just lying in a hammock, judging yeah. people's lives. Yeah. <laughs> now, Michael, you know who won't kidnap random groups of men and women from a culture and jam them into the hold of a sailing vessel together to take back to Seville? Our sponsor, Big Hammock. Yeah. Come on down to the big <laughs> yeah. hammock. Hey, hammocks. We didn't start this situation. Yeah, Look, all we do is make hammocks now. It's fine. <laughs> it's just woven thread. Yeah. <laughs> hammocks. The genocide was created prior to the start of the corporate charter. <laughs> That's right. Could it be hammocks that ultimately ended the genocide? Causality? Connection? Yeah. I don't know. I'm just a hammock. I'm just a, uh, yeah, this is just, <laughs> just a, a company selling hammock. hammocks. Um, okay. Here's ads. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. 
Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. 
Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Oh, we're back. Michael. So, on every island he visits, Columbus sets himself to the task of erecting gigantic crosses. Delaney notes that this is more evidence that he had no intention to enslave the locals, because, and this is her logic, if he converts them to Christianity, they can't be enslaved, right? So the fact mm-hmm. that he keeps building crosses on their land is evidence that he doesn't want them all enslaved, right? He's a good guy. Oh, yeah. When someone puts a cross up in your yard, it's not threatening <laughs> that, or aggressive. That, that is, it is historically welcome. always yeah. a good thing. Usually. <laughs> um, so Bear Green brings up parts of Columbus's notes that Delaney seems to ignore. At one point in November, he did write that the indigenous people were, quote, very gentle and without knowledge of what is evil, neither murder nor theft, and they are without arms and are so timid that a hundred of them flee before one person of ours. He recommended to the queen, quote, your highness ought to resolve to make them Christians, for I believe that if you began, in a short time you would achieve the conversion to our holy faith of a multitude of folk, and would acquire great lordships and riches and all their inhabitants for Spain. Now, the source of these riches is quite clear in his mind, quote, because without doubt there is in these countries a tremendous quantity of gold. And in case the extent of his meaning hasn't sunk in yet, gold needs to be mined. The indigenous folks acquired the small amounts of gold that they had, mainly through, like, searching riverbeds, right? Sifting through rocks and riverbeds and stuff to find little bits of gold. But to actually take the quantities necessary to fund his conquest of Jerusalem, proper mines would need to be open. And converted indigenous people couldn't be enslaved because, you know, Christians can't be enslaved. But they could be forced to labor in gold mines as part of their taxes to the new Enslavement empire they are a part of. Exactly! Is it, uh, and... Is there like assaying technology at this time? Like, is he right that there's a bunch of gold? Does they, he know yes, that? I mean they do find gold, right? Like okay. he sees like when there are, it is like a, a reasonable conclusion that if you see a bunch of people with little bits of gold, well, somewhere there has to be a place where that gold's coming. Sure, from, right. Okay. His, his thinking on that matter is not like delusional or anything. He's seeing <laughs> no, like no, pieces no. of gold, and he's like, well, there's got to be a place it's coming from. <laughs> but yeah. as far as reasonable conclusions go, he's not making a lot of them. So I just no, you're to respect right. Yes. That for a second. <laughs> he. he they, they do find this. Th- that, that is unfortunately where the story's going. They do find okay. gold mines. So on November 11th, the Admiral's fleet anchors off the coast of Cuba, which he thinks again is Japan. He and his men quickly put to shore, expecting to find gold. This was where all the people he'd met in islands along the way had told him the gold came from. But only a few of the folks he meets on the shore are wearing gold jewelry. And again, it tends to be pretty small pieces of gold jewelry. Now, Columbus is seriously starting to worry at this point. He's burning through days, he can't stay out here forever, and he can't just return with some gold trinkets, he feels, because that's not going to be enough to entice the king and queen. So increasingly, he starts to focus on what has he's seen to be, like, and what he's come to see is the most readily available source of wealth in this new world, which is its people, right? If I can't find gold, I can at least take and sell the people. From a write-up in American Heritage, quote, On Monday, December 3rd, the Admiral assured the sovereigns that ten men could cause ten thousand of the natives to flee. So cowardly and faint-hearted are they, and they carry no arms except some rods at the end of which are pointed sticks, which are fire-hardened. And again, Delaney is like portraying him as in love with these people and building these deep relationships. And everything he's writing is like, we could fuck these guys up. No problem. They can't stop us. We're gods here. It's it's just it's wild (laughs) that he's like, I don't know. You want to make them our religion you want to use them as slaves you want some rocks like whatever what's important is they're here and we can (laughs) fuck them up 
I mean, he's literally is willing to denude the landscape that he's discovering of whatever. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. As long across. as he gets what he, you know, something yeah. valuable. Now, by December 16th, his ideas in this respect have taken definite form. Quote, and here's Columbus again. They have no weapons and are all naked without any skill in arms and are very cowardly so that a thousand would not challenge three. Thus they are useful to be commanded and to be made to labor and sow and do everything else of which there is need and build towns and be taught to wear clothes and learn our customs. I call them thinky gold. <laughs> <laughs> they can be taught to walk and speak as a man. It is also like you you come across these people and you recognize, wow, everyone here looks very healthy and very help, happy and their food is delicious, and it's like a paradise. You know what would be great is teaching them how to labor and forcing them to build towns and wear pants. <laughs> yeah. Well. You hate to see it. Um, it's the seesaw. It's, I don't think his interest is improving their lives. It sure, it, yeah, yeah. It, it, is, it is not. Um, now, I want to contrast these things, which Columbus writes himself during his travels, with how Carol Delaney describes the ex- exploration of Cuba slash Japan by Columbus. Quote, He sent some men ashore, giving instructions as usual, that if the natives fled at their approach, the men must not touch or take anything from their houses. From the very beginning, Columbus notes how generously the natives shared whatever they had, and he did not want his crew to take advantage of them. He demanded that there must be an exchange, for example, beads and bells for needed food supplies. It was unequal, to be sure, but trade nonetheless. He continually recounts having to restrain his crew from looting villages when the residents fled at their approach. Throughout the diary, he repeats, I did not allow anything to be taken, not even the value of of a pin. Now, it's interesting because she's not wrong in that he does repeatedly tell his men not to loot. He writes regularly back to his sovereigns that I said not to loot. But when you just include that part of the story, you get this vision of like a guy who's really just trying to meet people and explore and he's constantly dealing with the fact that his men are unethical and want to just rob things. I would already question why you have a corporate culture where everyone under you is like champing at the bit. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But when, because what Carol has done here is cut out every time he's written like, boy, literally three of us could beat all of these people in a war and then we could own them and make them work for us. Like I'm not going to kill you. But like that, dude, like that, yeah, it, would it would be, be so easy. easy, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So again, when you're leaving all that out, perhaps you are doing a disingenuous job of writing about a guy's backstory. Um, I'm not an anthropologist like Carol Delaney, but I see that as perhaps missing a key part of the story. Um Now, one thing we're not going to be getting into a lot in these episodes is the story of the Pinzon brothers. Um, Delaney leaves them out mostly, too. Uh, All she kind of notes is that in late November, Martin Alonso Pinzon, who's the captain and owner of the Pinta, right? All of these ships had other guys who owned them. They were just kind of in service to the Spanish crown. He abandons the fleet out of greed, right? Like, not that long after... After they arrive, he takes the Pinta and he just goes separately and does his own thing for a while. And she makes Pinzon out to be basically the villain of the Columbus story, this dangerous, incompetent buffoon who tries to like ruin. He's trying to like steal gold while he's away and he he's mm-hmm. not listening to Columbus. And it is true that Pinzon takes the Pinta and kind of leaves the fleet and returns to Spain eventually like separately. It is inaccurate to portray him as some buffoonish foil. Pinzon and his brothers basically handled all of the expedition's logistics. Uh, Martin Pinzon was the only only reason Columbus was able to find a crew. He was a very respected sailor in Palos, and he basically convinced others to join the journey. Interviews we have with crew members and their families from a later court case between the two suggest that he basically ran all of the day-to-day business of the expedition because Columbus wasn't good at it and no one trusted him. Um, 
Evidence that maybe people were right not to trust Columbus as an expedition leader comes right around Christmas when the Santa Maria sinks like a motherfucker off the coast of what is today Haiti. Now, the precise cause of the accident is unclear, and it is partly unclear because Columbus wrote and revised his own account of the disaster repeatedly in order to, like, blame different people. Um, At first, he blames the ship's boy, who he says is at the tiller at the wrong time and screws up. Um, But as time goes on, he starts to claim that the ship hit an invisible reef while he slept. And then finally, as Bear Green writes, quote, now he insisted it was caused by the treachery of the master and the people, he's talking about Pinzone here, in refusing to run out the anchor from stem to Kedge, that is, Hall, off the ship as the Admiral ordered. There was no more mention of the hapless boy at the tiller, or Columbus's fatigue, or the holiday celebrations. Treachery had taken their place. <laughs> so basically, he's having issues with his crew. A lot of them trust these Pinzones, and, and like one of the Pinzone brothers fucking leaves with his guys. And Columbus initially is like, this thing sank because we were celebrating for the holiday, and like, I was tired, we didn't like pay enough attention. Then he's like, no, it was this boy! And then he's like, no, it was treachery from the men of Palos who wanted to ruin the expedition and like didn't do what i told them to um i don't know i think columbus maybe literally fell asleep at the wheel like it is entirely possible that he just kind of like passes out and the santa maria crashes (laughs) just yeah um but yeah anyway it's very funny um, and, and what's interesting here is that kind of by that last revision of the story, and in, what we're seeing is an increasingly paranoid Christopher Columbus, because he's he's under a lot of stress. He has to justify this expedition. And he also has come to increasingly believe that, like, God is directing him, right? God brought him here, and he is, like, achieving a sacred end for the Lord. Oh, and fucking so, finally a good mm-hmm. turn in the story, because God's yeah. good. God's yeah. going to know what to do. This is going to be great. Well, Go God is telling him that all of the crewmen he has are conspiring against him to stop him from achieving his goals. So... The good news is that Columbus, his men, and most of their possessions get rescued by a local leader, uh, a a cacique, which is kind of, I don't know, vaguely speaking, it's like a chief, right? A cacique is like kind of a local kind of village or town level leader. Some, they seem to have pretty widely differing kind of like numbers of people following them. Sure. Like, middle management. No, I mean, definitely. <laughs> no, I don't know. It, it does, yeah, it does. It doesn't look like there's like a, a long chain, but yeah, one of these guys is named, um, Guacanagari. Um, and Guacanagari is either, depending on kind of how you interpret things, either one of these guys who sees the Spaniards as maybe semi-divine, or he's just a very savvy local politician who sees them as powerful military allies against his enemies, right? He recognizes, well, Mm. these guys have good weapons, and if I get in their good books, they will help protect me from my enemies, right? So after he rescues Columbus and his men from this sinking, he offers to build houses for the admiral and his men and like let them live there. And he presents them with several gold gifts. Like he gives them kind of the, some of the biggest pieces of gold Columbus has found. Um, and he tearfully expresses his intense desire for friendship. Now, Carol Delaney writes about this at length and presents it as a beautiful example of platonic cross-cultural love between these two men. Um, it was made into a Charlie Brown special, if I recall. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he and Guacanagari <laughs> are like just the best of buds. Um, Bear Green's writing makes it clear that the cacique was motivated as much by realpolitik as anything else. Quote, Striding past groves of trees next to the houses, the Spaniards found themselves escorted to their guest quarters by a good thousand people, all naked, except for Guacanagari, who, out of respect for his guests, now wore a shirt and gloves that the admiral had given him, and over the gloves he made more rejoicing than anything. 
They talked of strategic matters, of the Indians' fierce rivals, the Caribs, who carried bows and arrows, reminiscent of the Spaniards' weapons, but made without any iron, and of the way the Caribs captured the Indians at will. At once, the Admiral said by signs that the sovereigns of Castile would order the Caribs to be destroyed, and would order them all brought with their hands bound. To reinforce his show of strength, Columbus ordered a Lombard and musket to be fired. The two shots, powered by gunpowder technology unknown to the Indians, shattered the Caribbean calm, and the Indians fell to the earth. So, this guy's like, you can stay here, we can be friends, um, you know, by the way, would you help us out with these local enemies of ours who are like raiding us and taking some of our people captive? Mm -hmm. And Columbus is like, oh, once I tell the queen this, you know, she's going to approve a genocide. We'll wipe them out. Don't worry. Look at, look at our guns. Um, and this is going to be noteworthy later because now that the Caribs are kind of in the picture, we've established basically everyone he's met before is like peaceful and, and friendly. Mm -hmm. Um, the Caribs are not peaceful or at least it is uh, he they has have an agendas they're doing things they're, they're, well they're, they they can at least be moves. portrayed that way and if mm -hmm. there is a group of people here who are aggressive well then suddenly a whole world of military options opens up right i guess that's <laughs> yeah. like me that's like me sticking my fist into a wasp's nest and going well this means war <laughs> this <laughs> like, means war you see <laughs> that i had no choice <laughs> um that is basically what happens here now the show of modern arms has two purposes for Columbus. For one thing, obviously, it does establish his value as an ally to this guy, but it also acts as a show of force to Guacanagari and his people, because with the Santa Maria sunk, Columbus doesn't have space on his boats to take all of his people back to Spain. But when the cacique offers him a home on the island, the admiral is like, well, wait a second. I can make a fortress here. Like, I can leave some guys behind, we can fortify it, and I'll have built the first strong point for Spanish power in the region. It'll be like the start of our of our trading system and stuff throughout the islands. Mm. Um, and Columbus now, because he he's kind of taken with this vision, he starts to see the loss of his flagship, the sinking of the Santa Maria, as divinely inspired. Uh, he was, he decided, quote, preordained to run aground and to meet Guacanagari. And while his initial mission had been simple exploration, he was obligated now by holy fiat to actually start colonizing this new land. Quote, now I have given orders to erect a tower and a fortress, all very well done, and a great moat, not that I believe it to be necessary for these people, for I take it for granted that with this people I could conquer all this island, which I believe to be bigger than Portugal and double the number of inhabitants. So he's like, I'm building a fortress, even though I don't really need one, right? Like, yeah. I could conquer it without one, but I'm going to make one. Um, now, of the people who were already there, Columbus showed now no real pretense of kindness. He described them as cowardly and beyond hope of cure. It is right that this tower should be built, he insisted. And it is as it should be, being so far from your highnesses, that they may recognize the skill of your highnesses' subjects and what they can do, so that they may serve them with love and fear. So he's like, part of what he's saying here is that the reason we should build a fortress here is to show these people is to have, is to provide a physical, like a physical example of the power of the Spanish crown, right? Right. We don't need this fortress because to defend ourselves from them because they're harmless. What we need it for is that they never forget that now they're subjects of the king. Fear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We exactly. are Pennywise. We live yeah. off their fear. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to build us a little death star in the middle of their nice little Caribbean island. So they never forget that the empire is on their fucking it neck. Absolutely now. is. Yeah. yeah. Begin yeah. construction on the yeah. dome, the death that, dome. That is, that is his brilliant idea. Uh, so he sent, he leaves about 40 of his guys there uh, to create a new settlement, and they're meant to build up infrastructure using native labor to help and collect gold for Spain that's going to be there upon their return. 
Uh, Carol Delaney writes that the men he left behind were just super jazzed for the opportunity. Quote, while once his men had desperately feared they would not be able to return to Spain, they now began to haggle who, over who would be fortunate enough to stay on the island while Columbus and the rest of the crew would attempt to return to Spain on the tiny Nina. So that's good. Now, yeah. Michael, let's, 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 let's think here. Let's war game this out, right? You've got these people who Columbus has already said every single time they come upon a village without oh, we people can in take it, them. he has to stop them from stealing, right? Right. And now he's like, I'm going to leave some of you here alone with weapons. And no, sure. they're all suddenly very excited to be in like, that crew. Do you think they have plans? Me- meanwhile, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put this fox and this grain and this duck in my boat mm-hmm. all together, and I'm going to yeah. go over there. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> Do you think maybe something bad might be about to happen with these guys? <laughs> Uh, but you know who would never rob an island of people blind? Because Not, I don't the think physically possible if you're going to say what I think you're going to say. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The products and services that support this podcast. When sets up the island that you can hunt children on, which, by the way, Michael, you and I should hang out on one of these days. It's a great, great place for a vacation. Oh, any excuse. They're to not see they're not robbing their no. island off the coast of Indonesia. They're creating value, you know? Mm-hmm. That island was just uninhabited by anything other than people when they came here, and now they've turned it into a hunting preserve. You know, that's value, right? That's well, creating before then, wealth. we weren't aware that cloth could be cut in the shape, that shape, that apron shape. Well, isn't mm-hmm. it worth it for the apron? Yeah, the apron alone apron has made their yeah. island worthwhile. Michael, here's some ads. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time, and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. 
She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, we're back. So, you know, Columbus is, uh, um, it, it's interesting here because like he is, he's leaving these guys behind and a lot of them are very yeah. excited to get to stay on the island and get up to the shit they're going to get up to. But it's also worth noting that like Columbus is potentially dooming them all um, based on his own vanity and desire for advancement because He's very good at navigating, right? He has navigated his way to and through the Caribbean with extreme facility, but the notes that he's written on how to get there and back are totally nonsense from a nautical point of view. Purposefully, he has written the wrong way to get there and back in his notes because he doesn't want to risk getting intercepted by a foreign power Ah. and giving them directions to the new world, right? Now, that's reasonable in a way, right? Because this is a valuable secret. Wouldn't you you do it in code or in some way that you could still understand where you're going? Well, he can. He knows how to get there and back. Okay, great, great. But no one else, he's, so here's the thing though. He's leaving all these dudes behind. And no one else is going to be able to find them again. That's if he that. doesn't live, right? That's that like, for them. were he yeah. to have died on the voyage, and people yeah. died for no fucking reason back then, all of those guys would have just been doomed. <laughs> it's also the screenwriter in me just can't get over what a huge turn in like dooming so many lives that that moment is where he decides in his sick little brain, yeah, oh, I was supposed to stay here. Why? Yeah. Because. I'm supposed to take dominion of this land, of yeah. all of it. And you're like, 
dun 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 Dun. yes fuck um but it is it is funny that he is essentially gambling the lives of his men on the hope that he a middle-aged guy in the 1400s isn't going to like die and leave them stranded forever Ah, i just do find i find i find that also funny obviously Mm -hmm. that's not a particularly great crime in the columbus canon but it does say a lot about him as a dude that he just doesn't even think about it not for a second (laughs) is there is an ounce of concern what if we Uh, need to get back what you know left at the big rock or whatever yeah, i man, gotta go just sail like come on figure it out <laughs> so columbus begins his journey home on january 2nd 1493 but despite days of begging from the cacique that he stay to provide protection from the caribs before he left he christened his new settlement on hispaniola navidad and wrote in a letter to his sovereigns that when he returned to the island, he uh, he was sure that he would, quote, find a barrel of gold that those who were left behind would have acquired by exchange, and that they would have found the gold mine and the spicery, and those things in such quantity that the sovereigns, before three years are over, will undertake to go and conquer the Holy Sepulchre. For this I urged your highnesses to spend all the profits of this my enterprise on the conquest of Jerusalem. Oh, all right. So he's like, like, yeah, yeah, he, he's and like, they're going to, it's going to be great. It's going to change the world. Guaranteed. It is. It, well, cause what he's saying here is that what I, I'm leaving them on the Island to, to collect gold and find yeah. a mine and find spices, which number one, Carol Delaney is like, he just wanted them there to watch his friend and to set up a settlement so people could he's live essentially there. Essentially set up a human Bitcoin mine. Yeah. Th- that's actually <laughs> what he's doing. And he's, he wants, he's doing it all for Jerusalem, baby. So one of the last things Columbus did was he delivered a letter to the man he was leaving in charge of Navidad. Uh, It contained instructions and was signed. Instead of with Columbus's usual signature, it was signed with something new. This is the first time he starts using what instead of like his signature is this bizarre glyph that he invents for himself during the voyage. Um, And he creates this like glyph to sign things with because he's now grown convinced that he's being guided by God to some holy end. And here's how Carol Delaney describes this. The sigil resembles a ship in full sail and consists of three rows of letters in the shape of a triangle. The meaning of the last line is clear. Expo ferens is a combination of Greek and Latin words, meaning Christ-bearer. Columbus must have believed that he had made good on his identification with his namesake, St. Christopher. Though during the voyage, Columbus must have given much thought to the letters in their arrangement, to this day they remain undeciphered, despite the efforts of many people through the ages. One interpretation is that the initials stand for Servus at the top, and then some Altissimi Salvadoris on the second line, and Christe Maria Jesu on the third, all of which translates as, I am the servant of the most high savior o christ mary joseph another interpretation is servidor sus aztecas sacras cristo maria isabel that is the humble servant of their most sacred majesties christ mary and isabella so he's 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 kind of gone full extremist here um yeah. he's 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 like built himself a logo that does that number one he's like among uh, primarily identifies himself. Yeah, he is. He is. By the way, <laughs> he is. He is signing himself now as like the agent of God, right? Yeah. Like the person who is going to like bring about the apocalypse and but bring it's about designing. the conquest of Jerusalem. Yeah, he like put it in a little cool triangle. He's spending you know, a lot of time locked in his room writing. And figured yeah. it out. Yeah, he's got. Yeah, his, we never got his notes. His little trapper keeper as he figured out how to of do all it. All the right. failed, the alternate ones and takes yeah. and little shit he was gonna doodle anyway that's that we're now at like full christ bearer columbus who is number one convinced that he and by like he and the sovereigns now own this place right because again he part of his deal with them is that 
if they take it, he gets to be the governor and he gets mm-hmm. a, a cut of all the profits. Um, and he's also convinced that he is being directly guided by God to take possession of this in order to fund a holy war. So that's it good. is striking mm-hmm. how often people who have acquired or are on the verge of acquiring completely like, you know, unevenly levered like advantage over something or to suck a huge amount of resource up suddenly decide that it's good. This is happening and God wants this to happen and it's great. And that's why it's fine. I love it. I love being on the show, Robert. I'm glad this is all we ever do together. Episode after episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Next, we will be talking about Christopher Columbus's feet. Now, this is largely uh, going to be based on, you know, uh, my personal theories um, slash erotic dreams. But I think people will still get a lot out of it, Michael. I hope you do. I'm turgid, so let's go. You have any plugs you want to plug before we roll out? Oh God, not after that. Um, yeah, <laughs> thanks for the opportunity, Robert. Always have a blast here. Uh, yeah, my name's Michael Swaim. You can find me on Twitter mostly at Swaim underscore Corp. And if you want to hear me on a whole variety of podcasts, search up Small Beans, which is the name of my imprint, uh, or head over to patreon.com slash small beans. I've also got another show that's not on that network called One Upsmanship, a brand new video games podcast on the iHeart network. Check it out if you're interested in video games as an art form, because that's what we think it is. By we, I mean myself and my co-host, Adam Ganser. Again, that's the number one. And then UPSmanship. Check it out. Excellent. All right, the episode's over. Go home, everybody. Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com. Or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I am the ferryman. 
In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.